love can be exhilarating and wonderful, but it can also be painful and complicated. Join clinical psychologist and best-selling author, Dr. David Hawkins, as he reveals the truth about the good, the bad, and the ugly aspects of relationships. Listen in as he gives you practical tips for hope and healing. Welcome to the podcast, Mad in Love. Welcome to Madden Love. I'm Katie Buckley, the producer of Madden Love and the program manager of the Marriage Recovery Center. Normally, you have Dr. Hawkins as the host of this podcast, but for today's special episode, I have Dr. Hawkins and Dr. Hudson on an esteemed clinician at the Marriage Recovery Center in the hot seat to share with us some exciting news. Welcome, Dr. Hawkins and Dr. Hudson. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, and I want to ask John how he's doing. How are you doing, John? Dr. Hudson, rather. I am doing fantastic. Wonderful. Yeah. That's wonderful. Let's dive right in. We have, I have a lot of questions. So, Dr. Hawkins, do you mind sharing with us your upcoming project? Well, yeah. This is a very, very exciting time for us, uh, Katie, as a company and from my, my relationship with my colleague, Dr. Hudson here, we're writing a book together. And I've written a number of books. I got to think about this. I don't think I've, in fact, I haven't. I've never co-authored a book. So this is a first for me. And, you know, it's with a kindred spirit. It's with my colleague. And we're writing a book that the title, the working title is So She Called You a Narcissist. And then kind of in parentheses, now what? What do you do now? And that's what the project is all about, how to help men grow beyond narcissism and emotional abuse. And there's very, very little out there on this topic. And so we're at the cutting edge. And I thought, I mean, John, Dr. Hudson runs our core men's program. And so who better to co-author this project with me than Dr. Hudson? So Dr. Hudson, why did you say yes? No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> why, well, why are you writing yeah. this book? <laughs> well, we're all busy, right? So we do ask ourselves, why did I sign up for this? But the real reason is, is and you said it already, Dr. Hawkins, that there's not a lot out there, if any, mm, really, right. to the man, to the one who has the work to do. And that's part of our subtitle that we're, that's working subtitle that you, that you referenced. But I'm excited about this because every group that I host or I facilitate, there's at least one guy who will say, where's the book for me? Yep. Where's the book that I use that challenges me instead of why do I have to read about the victim? Why do I have to read about her all the time and what she's feeling? Well, of course, we want them to feel that. But. That's part of the point of the book, isn't it? Well, it is. This is this is so cutting edge, Katie and Dr. Hudson, so cutting edge. And I love stuff that's cutting edge. That's like, there's nothing out there that's going to take men through the nitty gritty. I mean, like even, even the title, even the title, that's a great starting place for men. Okay. Okay. Got it. So she called you a narcissist and you're reeling from that and you're not liking it. And and then now the book, <laughs> the book. Now, now let's set out to end 
these patterns, these longstanding behaviors of narcissism and emotional abuse. And of course, Dr. Hudson and I break it all down and we look at what does, what does treatment really look like? And Dr. Hudson, I mean, you, you know, we're going to be done with this book in three or four months. And I think it's going to hit, it's going to hit the population out there and people are going to run with it, grab it. And, uh, yeah, we're we're gonna our our hair is gonna be flying back is what I think will happen. So the book title looks like the the full book title. So she called you a narcissist, doing the work to end narcissism and emotional abuse. That's the working title, correct? Correct. All right. So then, with that title, you mentioned doing the work. Could you elaborate what you plan to put in there as work that in, like what kind of work it would entail or how it could be transformative for individuals facing these challenges? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to comment first of all, and then Dr. Hudson, you can add to what I'm going to say. But, you know, the first thing is to simply have an attitude of receptivity. Like, I mean, again, back to the working title. So, so, okay, she called you a narcissist. Okay, now what? And in fact, that's the, the in the prelude we go. So she called you a narcissist. Now what? And we we spend a fair bit of time in the first couple of chapters talking about h- how are you going to respond to this? Are you going to reel from it and get all hurt and you know just get all uh, bunched yeah. up and so on and so forth, or are you going to say, "Oh my, oh my, how do I respond in a healthy way? How do I take the accusation?" You're a narcissist. How do I take that and not get all bent out of shape about it, not get all resentful, and in fact, get like, okay, I need to learn from this. So we talked about having an attitude of receptivity and preparing yourself for the long, hard work. And it is long and it is hard, but it is good work. It's really good. I talked to a man just recently and I said, you know what? Isn't it good? to do good work, good work that leads to good self-esteem. And that's what we do, Dr. Hudson, right? We encourage men to do good work and to feel good about the good work that becomes transformative. I completely agree. And and the issue is, and you made a good good point about this, whether they react or respond to what's been presented to them. Yeah. Right. Because reacting is all that emotion. Like, I don't like that title. I don't like that label. And if you set that aside and listen to the heart of what she's sharing with you, you've been a jerk. Right. If your buddy said to you on the work site or out fishing, wherever you were, you, you're being a jerk. You'd probably say, oh, yeah, you're right. I'm being a jerk. But when she says it to you, you get all rankled up and think, ah, I don't want to hear that from my wife. But who better to provide that input for you to say, you know, let me take a minute here. Let me slow things down and and listen to what she's telling me. And then it's my job to do something about it. Right. Um, In the early part of the book, Dr. Hawkins, we talk about humility. Yeah. And they're they're not going to progress until they have a humble enough spirit to say, "Okay, I need to listen, listen, listen. I met with a couple this last weekend. And he gave me a catchphrase that we need to do something with. Okay. He said, "He said, finish the listen. This was from the guy. Oh, love it. I love that phrase. And I told him I'm going to steal it. I'm going to use it on a podcast. So here we are. But <laughs> finish the listen. Finish the listen. Yeah. And, and so, uh, Katie, we, 
you can already hear this at the beginning of the book, we're challenging men to have an attitude of receptivity to begin recognizing that she didn't just call him a narcissist out of thin air. This comes, you know, the average person who's going to pick up this book has been called probably a lot of names, frankly, probably a lot of stuff for a long period of time. It doesn't just come out of thin air. It's not a one-off. It's not just, ah, yeah, you know, he had a bad Saturday and she says, you're a narcissist. And then uh, she recants it all. She doesn't recant it all. Not Mm -hmm. at all. No. In fact, when we ask her, when we probe and when we get him to probe, we find out, oh my, oh, so you've been feeling this for years and years. And years. years. And so you, sir, can ignore this at your own peril. Ignore it at your own peril. I often say, Dr. Hudson, I often say to men, you can get defensive and you can tell her essentially, shut up. And she will. And Mm. when that day comes, you will be very, very, very unhappy because you're going to be calling us and saying, my wife won't talk to me. My wife says she wants a separation. Of course. (laughs) <laughs> My wife is threatening the D word. And I say, well, that's exactly what you wanted, isn't it? You, you've, been, you've been telling her to shut up mm, in many ways yeah. because you've been rationalizing, justifying, minimizing, defending, blame shifting, playing. The, you, you've told her to shut up. You're, you're now surprised right. that she has shut up and she won't talk to you because she's afraid. She feels that this is exactly the house that you've built. And now right. maybe. Maybe, just maybe, but only maybe, maybe we can rebuild the house. Maybe. No promises. So the word narcissist, that's a very triggering word, especially in the society and especially in relation to being accused of that. Could you share with us some stories or some anecdotes where you've seen couples have that word thrown at them? It's very triggering. It's very difficult to accept. And yet they are able to get to a point of curiosity to even entertain the idea of picking up a book that says, so, you're a narcissist. It is very triggering. You're absolutely right about that. And it's very easy for a man to get hung up on like, I, you know, I don't want to think of, we we hear men all the time say, I don't want to think of myself that way. And that therein is the problem. I don't want to think of myself that way. So these men have been telling themselves, and this is their defense, I don't want to think of myself as being narcissistic. I don't want to use the a word abuse. And yet the woman is saying to us, oh, I, I need him to I own the word that. abuse. I need him That's to sit right. in it. I need him to think about it. I need him. I'm, I'm, and this is her talking now. I'm not hung up on labels, but I need him to see this is a, this is a huge mountain. It's a big, big, big deal. So if you just say, well, I'm, you know, I can be a little testy at times. No, no, that's not it. Well, I can, I raise my voice. You know, I don't want to say that I'm an angry man. I want to say I, I lose my temper on occasion. Okay. That's all called minimization or sanitization. And so. Yeah, we need to help men and we, we do and we will help men, men climb the mountain of, wait a minute, guys. It's, it's okay. It's, we can get through this. You can, you can look in the mirror and say, I'm narcissistic. I have narcissistic tendencies. I'm emotionally abusive. And 
I'm in recovery for it. And that's the thing that you can hold your head high about. I'm in recovery and I can own it. I can name it. And by owning it and naming it, now we can get on with it. Thoughts about yeah. the word, the, the narcissist word, Dr. Hudson? Well, of course, um, it's, it's triggering, as you said. But the issue is, can you look past the label? Can you push past it and accept that there are, and there are nine MPD traits, and we talk about them often. We certainly talk about them in core. But if I can, if, if I can show a guy that he has one or two, and we begin the work there, then before you know it, he's realized that he has seven or eight, maybe all nine, maybe historically, right? That's the effort to push to change. Say, okay, we'll start somewhere because she's, she's feeling that. And you, you, can't, you can't deny that anymore. That's why you're here. That's why you're picking up the book. You want to know what's going on. What does she mean by that? I think we need to also mention, Dr. Hudson, that Many of these men have watched many of our videos and others' videos. And so when the woman calls the man a narcissist, he might be thinking, oh, my goodness, I've, I've watched the videos that say narcissists don't change. Right. There's no hope. There's no healing. for if, if, you've got, if you've got the narcissist label, you're doomed. And, of course, we don't think that way. You know, our programs are filled. They're filled with men who are narcissistic and they are gradually embracing the idea of needing to change. And in fact, the longer they're in our programs, we've got three, we've got a comprehensive core program and the three different levels. And as they move through our core programs, they embrace the idea more and more and more. Oh my goodness. I am narcissistic, I am emotionally abusive, and I can change, and I do change, and I am growing. Now, we don't want him to run home and say, wait a minute now, I can change, no. I do change. You, yeah. You've got to just show it by your behavior, but let's make it really, really clear. We do not subscribe to the notion that if you are narcissistic in any way, you're doomed. You are not doomed, and if you'll show up on our doorstep, and we welcome you, and yeah. change can happen. So I absolutely agree with that, Dr. Hawkins. Obviously, we, we agree about that. But the thing is, they do embrace the opportunity for change, embrace the opportunity for the work that it's going to take, and are patient with themselves, not complacent, but patient with themselves as they implement change, because the evidence of that change is her experience. Does her experience begin to change? And that's one thing we talk to the wives about, maybe the reason they want to pick up the book. What can I expect? It's not something we really have throughout the book. We talk a lot to, to the guys about what they should expect. But maybe it's a quick opportunity to, to say slow change is good change. Oh, I love that. I love it. Slow change is good change. This is a long road. It is a long road. So uh, while we don't at all say that the path is uh, hopeless in any way, it's not, but it is slow and gradual. So you mentioned a lot about the topic having a lot of videos out there, narcissistic people cannot change. You have had a lot of experience in this field. 
and you've encountered probably a lot of myths and misconceptions surrounding emotional abuse and narcissism. So are there any common misconceptions you'd like to debunk through your book? Well, sure. I mean, one of them, as we just said, that narcissists don't change. Well, depending upon where you are on the scale, and there's there's gradient, there's graduation, there's gradual levels. You can have a little bit of narcissism. You can have a moderate level. You can have a high level. So, And you can be mildly defensive. You can be moderately defensive. You can be highly defensive. You can have some character issues. You can have a moderate amount of character issues. You can have a lot. So it all depends upon the individual. And of course, that's what we do. We assess someone and we assess how amenable to change they are. So another myth to debunk is it's all or nothing. I'm just, that's what I'm just saying in another way. It's all or nothing. It's not all or nothing. It's not either you are one or you aren't one. There's, there's gradual levels of it. So, and we believe in treatment. We believe change is possible. And so I don't like it when I watch a video out there with other people and they give, they're using very, very uh, dramatic language. Oh, all narcissists, narcissists will never tell you the truth. Narcissists can't change. Narcissists are only out to hurt you. Narcissists, and anyway, you, you can fill in the blank. Narcissists are always this and they're never that. People, folks, if you watch a video and anyone says they can never this, they can never that, they're always this or always that, Come on, we're, 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 we're individuals. And so okay. we need to look at people as individuals and then, and then really assess is change beginning to happen? And, and of course, we work closely with the spouses of these men who have narcissistic tendencies. That's a key word to write down and remember tendencies. And we work with them and we want to help hold them accountable for real change. So we're not we're not going into this saying, oh, don't, don't worry. A little bit of narcissism is very, very damaging. So yes. don't don't hear us uh, mamby pambying any of this topic. It's very, very serious. We take it seriously, but it it, it doesn't mean all of the dramatic language. Let, let let's let's temper all of the dramatic language. Dr. Hudson, you want to respond to that? I do. It is a serious topic. It is a serious problem. And it permeates all of our society, men from all walks of life. And I love that you're pointing out that there are there can be tendencies. And I love that you're pointing out that absolutes are probably not true. When you say never this or always that, it's probably not true. Now, not to minimize what's happening. I mean, when you experience the same thing 20, 30 times or yes, 20, yes. 30 years, it's going to feel like always. It's going to feel like never. I understand that. But is that really the truth? The truth is there are tendencies and we could target those. It's important to hear from the wives. You mentioned the wives. It's a great, extremely important to hear from the wives. Where are your priorities? What do you want them to target first? If we know that, then we can uniquely approach the topic with each man we encounter and say, she's experiencing this. And if you, if you want to rank the nine traits, this is where she wants you to start. This is where she needs you to start. If you start on number nine and she needs you to work mm. on number one, it's going to feel oh, like boy. there's no progress, right? I think you've answered this, Dr. Hudson, but I, I'd, I'd love for you to tackle this a little bit more specifically. What do you say to the wife 
Sorry, Katie, I'm doing your job here now. No, this is good. <laughs> All right. So this this woman has had 20 years. She's coming to you drained, wounded, weary. She's tried any number of counseling times, e- efforts. She's been to her pastor. She's been to three different counselors. She's been, and, and she comes to you and she says, man, I am out of gas. You're our last ditch effort. and I don't really think he can change. He hasn't changed. That's all. That's my whole experience. I mean, no offense, sir. I don't think he can change. Yeah, you've just yeah. described ninety percent of the stories that we get. Yeah, haven't you? Maybe more. And and the way ninety-five. You, yeah, yeah. 95. And the way you have to approach that is let's start at the beginning because it hasn't taken. It hasn't. This just hasn't happened over the last two years. Right. It's been forty years of marriage this way. I had a, a couple, I just did an intensive last weekend and obviously I'm not going to give details, but they've been married. I'll just, I'll just say over 40 years. So she's got 40 years of experience sort of to undo. And he's got 40 years plus of living that he has to unlearn. Yep. So you have to say, let's start there. You got to understand. He has to understand that there's a problem. And there is a way to approach the problem. There may be multiple problems, right? Uh, problem BR. And so allowing us to work with him, giving us the privilege to do so. I love that. Thank you for the opportunity. And let's see where it goes in this initial stages. And the measure of success, I'll say again, is that in some way, my experience with him begins to change. This is her talking, even if they're separated. Because I always get that question. I don't know. I'm sure, Dr. Hawkins, you get the same question. But we're already separated. He will say, we're already separated. How can I exhibit change when we're separated? And I will say to him, in the tiniest of connection that you have, maybe she's limited you to email or texting, logistical conversations only. You can show up differently even there. I love that, Dr. Hudson. I love it. So there's a great saying out there, and it goes something like this. When we change, the world notices. You can see it. You, you can trust that, sir. You mentioned something's really critical for everyone to understand. And this is, this is the, to the victim of, uh, of emotional and narcissistic abuse, to manage expectations. We are not miracle workers. No. But we can work with these men. That's, again, the back to the book. Doing the work to end Narcissism and Emotional Abuse is the subtitle, and we really believe change can happen, but it's going to happen slowly. It's going to happen one degree at a time, and when you, when you change the temperature one degree at a time, you don't, you don't feel one degree. You don't even really feel two degrees. I'm not sure you feel three degrees. Four? Mm-hmm. Something's happening. Five? Oh, oh, oh. Six? Seven? Nine? Ten? Oh, 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 oh. And that's what we notice from the spouses of the men that we're working with. By and large, we hear something is different here, but she needs to be open to that possibility. And that's going to take some time because she's coming to us wounded, hurt, and very, very weary. I have a question for you, Dr. Hawkins, then, because I get this question all the time. And I wonder if you could promote a response to this. She will say, I don't trust his change. He's implemented change before. It lasts three months, six months. 
and then he's right back to where he was. How do you answer that? Yeah, I have two. I have two answers to that, Doctor Hudson. Number one, I would say, oh boy, oh boy, honor, honor your distrust. Honor your distrust. It's that's it's well placed. You will not hear me say to you, "Oh, come on now, come on, look on the bright." You know, I'm not going to say that. Of course, honor your distrust and honor your weariness. Come alongside your own weariness and your weariness, and and that's perfectly fine. So I, I'm good with that. The second thing is, it's going to take time and a lot of work for change to happen. And I want what I want to do with you is I want to look back and see, like for example, here's a, here's a great story. The woman might say. Oh, I don't trust change can happen because I separated from him five years ago and we were separated for three weeks and he changed dramatically over the three weeks. And then we reconciled and then went right back to right back to the way things were. And I go, oh, and she says, yeah. So what I what I take from that experience is that change can't really happen. And I say to her, oh, my goodness, I take the exact opposite. Oh, you separated. You got his attention. Well done. So the only mistake probably was reconciling too soon. That's right. Him not being entrenched in a real treatment program. So we can look back and see, not not to criticize you, but we can see what was good in that experience and what we can we can elaborate upon, we can make even better. So yeah, I'm not giving you pie in the sky, but oh my goodness, so wow. So three years ago, when you separated, you got his attention. That's actually a good sign. So maybe we can design an intervention, which that's a whole nother, we've got podcasts on that, but we can design, we will help you design an intervention that will be robust and powerful and stands every likelihood of getting his attention. So again, what do we do with her distrust? We say, understandable understandable. Please don't, don't give that up at all. Let's create a robust treatment program where we expect him to do the work. And then we will be working closely together. We would partnering together, we will lock arms, and then we will, we'll move forward and we'll, we'll make adjustments to the treatment plan. And then we will see, and maybe this needs to be tweaked. Maybe that needs to be tweaked. Man, we're just we're just a treatment team working with you to bring about change. Uh, you, do you, you want to add to that in any way, Doctor Hudson? I do because the three weeks that he changed yeah. is proof that what change can, change. can happen. Change yeah. he can change, and yep. you've just you've just given a good reason why we have a comprehensive core program. It's not right. just fourteen weeks. It's what what are you going to do with the rest of your life? So yep. we want to help you sustain that change, and we have programs to do that. And the men, as you well know, Dr. Hudson, and this is, this is a sobering thought for anybody watching this. When we say doing the work, we really do mean staying the course. It means, please don't come into 14 weeks and think, ah, 14 weeks, one and done. No, it's going to mean 14 weeks and then toggling into our advanced core program. And then the men who are in our core strength program, they're coming because they want to come to the group. There's no gun to their heads. They're they're enjoying the goodness of doing good work. That's right. Good work uh, feeds upon itself, and so. So that sounds to me like 
this topic is very complex, right? And there's there's a need for something that that is more clinical and working with someone who's specialized in this. But in the book, how do you plan to approach the information that's accessible and beneficial to the readers before they're able to take part in the Comprehensive Core program? Well, we have to introduce the ideas. You start with the, the ground level. You have to assume that your reader, our readers, don't know a lot about the details of this subject and how to recover. I love the word recovery because that entails, okay, there's a lot of work for me to do. So you have to start with basic definitions. What does it mean to gaslight somebody? What does it mean to be defensive on many different levels and in many different ways? What does humility mean? What impact does that have on my potential growth or change? So that's the approach we take. And it's not that we're trying to make something elementary. We want to to present the material in a way that's usable and actionable. So that's the goal. Do you have any thoughts on that, Dr. Hawkins? Yeah, I I agree with Dr. Hudson that this is, uh, we're really partnering with these men to grow. I, I use the word growing, changing, becoming, incorporating. It's a process. So growth begets growth begets growth. We, and it becomes, you know, I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking piano lessons. I'm studying Spanish, both true. And I'm trying to get, watch, I'm not just trying, I'm training in tennis. It's a growth process. And so I can look and go like, wow, I play the piano better than I did five years ago from constant, ongoing practice and training. We talk to these men about training versus trying. We don't believe in, well, I'm going to try to become a healthier man. No, you're going to train to become a healthier man. And so every chapter will be a new tool, a new skill. Dr. Hudson already mentioned humility. That's one of the chapters, how to have a humble attitude. We've already said the beginning of the book is here's how to approach this doing the work. Here's what it looks like, but it is a, it is a process and it grows upon itself. And it's good to do good work. And we make that really, really clear to these men. How does the book balance the responsibility of holding individuals accountable for their actions while also offering empathy and support for their healing process? Yeah, accountability is just a huge, huge topic, uh, huge. And I've written extensively on that topic. A lot of people think they're in accountability and they're not at all. So it's very common for many of these men to say, well, I, you know, I go to a Bible study group and, and, and they hold me accountable. And then when we ask questions, well, wh- wait a minute, do they really know what your shadow side is like? Do they know the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde qualities in your character? Well, not exactly. Well, do they know how you are aggressive or passive aggressive? Do they know all of your defense? No, 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 no. Oh, then it's not accountability. And so then we talk about, okay, what is accountability and who is going to hold them accountable? So, it's, it's a very, very complicated process. So we, frankly, Katie, we haven't refined it. It's a, we're on the cutting edge of, okay, who then 
if the mate doesn't want to hold him accountable, and she doesn't, and if the pastor or good friend is really not a person to hold him accountable, what is that going to look like? And we're, we're really at the cutting edge of that, trying to figure out, okay, are we as a treatment providers going to be holding him accountable? And I think at this moment, we're combining ourselves and the partner and maybe maybe the Bible study leader, the pastor, someone else in this person's life, and all combined can create an accountability bubble that will really have a robust impact on him. Yeah, that, makes a, that absolutely makes a lot of sense. And I hear this a lot, too, where an individual will say, well, my pastor holds me accountable. And you, you, you made this point, but I want to reiterate uh, a certain aspect of it. Your pastor who is you've served with for 20 years mm. hasn't held you accountable Your yet. friend. Your best friend. By the way, your best friend is not your best accountability partner at all because he probably wants to preserve the friendship. And out of preserving the, risk, the friendship, he's not going to speak the truth in love, right? He's going to tiptoe around the truth. Maybe say, hey, maybe you shouldn't have said that to her when he should be saying, that was harmful. That's something you should never say to your wife. And you need to change that, buddy. I want to tackle, I want us to address Katie's question, Dr. Hudson. She said, how do we balance empathy for his healing process? Because I, I'm, I'm sure you have, like myself, when I get like I am right now, kind of tough <laughs> and yeah. say hard things, like you used the jerk word a few minutes ago. And we do, we look at these men and go, that ain't cool. I said that to a man yesterday. I mean, I said just like that, quote unquote, I said, that's not cool what you just did right now. This was in a couple session. And I said, that's not cool what you just did. And he was going like, well, he didn't say this, but I'm sure he was thinking, how dare you call me out like this in front of her? So he gets wounded. But it's a great question. Dr. Hudson, do you do you have a way that you express appreciation for his hard work, kind of bolstering him while you're confronting him? How do you strike that balance? It is a delicate balance because you can so easily compromise the work we're trying to do or present by addressing an issue directly. And it's as unique as each person is. Some guys need it. They want you to get in their face and they welcome that and they move on that. And some guys are like, uh, you know, I don't want to hear this. And, <laughs> and, and, and so oh. then you say, well, tell me what's healthy in your relationship and tell me what's unhealthy. Let's start with your perspective and then let's transition to what she ex is experiencing. And if it's unhealthy, can you talk about that? Can you talk about your role? And leading change, and that's an important factor, right? Yeah. She's not going to want to lead change anymore. She needs you to lead change. So stop oh. talking about her and you lead the change. You take Dr. responsibility. Hudson, we've, got, we've got videos on that one. She is, uh, she is tired. She, how many women have we heard say, I'm raising four children, three children that are below the age of 18, and one that is 45, 55, 65 years old. But I think what I would add to what you've said, Dr. Hudson, is I really do pose the question to men. In fact, I posed it yesterday 
for this man that I'm re- referencing, do, do you want me to coach you? What, what exactly are you asking me to do here? Mm-hmm. If you, a coach coaches. So like I've said, I'm, I'm taking piano lessons. It's no fun when my piano teacher, her name's Claire, when Claire looks at me and says a little bit sternly, why are you playing that note like that? You know, sometimes when I'm testy, I go, well, because I wanted to. <laughs> yeah, that's not how it's written. Now, if I don't have an attitude of receptivity, if I look at her and go, Claire, I don't want you to scold me. I don't want you to coach me. I don't want you to teach me. She would say, we are then done, sir. We're done. Yeah. And, 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 and so anyway, for any of these men who pick up the book, don't come to us unless you have gotten to one degree or another, some, some level of understanding about I'm here to be coached, Dr. Hudson, right. Dr. Hawkins. I'm here because what I'm doing has wreaked utter havoc, chaos, and my relationship with my wife is dying. So anyway, they have to get straight about all That's of right. that. And then we're both compassionate, caring people. I don't know if it shows. Yours <laughs> shows more than mine, I think. But I mean, we care about what we do. We, we bleed yeah. compassion, yeah. but we also bleed. Now, nah, look, we, we got a job to do here, guys. We got a job. We got a marriage to save. So any more thoughts on how you weave in empathy and, and, and understanding for the hard work they're doing while holding their feet to the fire? Because these women, by the way, I hope we've made this clear. They're coming to us in their first question spoken or unspoken is, can I trust you, right. Dr. Hudson, to really do the work here? Because I've been to four other counselors and I left horribly disappointed, right. horribly. So I'm coming here going like, mm, man, you got, you got 55 minutes, sir, to make an impression on me or I'm out the door. Or, all right. Sorry. <laughs> a little bit of a rant there. Well, it's it's true that every every individual we encounter is unique. So knowing where they are is a is is a big piece of the beginning and the book intends to get to that. Where are you? And each of these areas, each chapter has a significant purpose, right? So that's where we start in our face-to-face engagement, this world. Understanding where he is and his willingness. Let's be honest. A lot of the guys we encounter are very successful in their work. Yeah. They own their own companies. They own multiple yeah. companies. They've been successful. They And they failed at home. And they don't understand. Yeah. They don't understand that, yeah. that a work relationship is not a marriage relationship. So they try to bring that work mentality home and, and overpower, drive, control. It's not what she needs. And helping him understand initially that, okay, you tell me, has the last 20 years been fruitful? Has it been successful at Great home? point. And they'll say, well, you know, I build a big business. I, I provide. And, and she has everything she needs. Does she really? No. Does she have nope. what she really needs? No. Nope. Because if you nope. ask her, she'd probably say, sell everything. Attend to me. Attend to me. And I'll ask, yeah. are you attending to her? Are you attending to what she needs successfully? And he'll almost always say, I guess not. That's why I'm here. And then, and I think what you and I and our whole treatment team do very well, Dr. Hudson, is we say to this man, 
you really do need me here. What you're doing is not working. So while you may not like some of the things I say, you may not like some of the ways I say it, come on. We have a marriage to save. You need to partner with me. My piano teacher, I trust Claire. I trust her that she's going to lead the way. I trust my tennis coach. I trust him or her. I trust them to get me where I want to go. So I think, Katie, what we want to say to this man is we want to say, look, (laughs) where you're heading right now is a cliff, and the cliff has a huge drop-off. It really does. So don't don't kid yourself. You can quit therapy. You can drop out of our core program. You can stop early. You, you probably can talk her out of that. You can probably talk her, or excuse me, talk her into quitting after core, the first core group. You probably can succeed. Boy, oh boy. Boy, oh boy. Count the cost. Be yeah. really clear within yourself. Is that really going to get you where you want to go? Or do you want to pair up with the likes of Dr. Hudson? You know, all the other, we've we've got a robust uh, clinical team that will help you get to where we think you really want to get to. But you've got to tap into that, that, yeah, I I, I guess there's a saying in the 12-step program, self will run riot. There's another saying that says, half measures availeth us nothing. Half measures. That's right. Half effort. Half efforts get us nowhere. That's correct. So pay close attention. I really like that. So Dr. Hawkins and Dr. Hudson, one of the things that I hear a lot in phone calls when people call into the Marriage Recovery Center is just being the wife, being concerned of going into sessions or even being a part of a joint session assessment time and just having that time be used by the husband who is exhibiting these traits just to get the language to weaponize information that they learn towards her later on and accusing her of being the one who is abusive. Is there anything in the book that kind of addresses having the the vulnerability to see this information and how it pertains to themselves instead of reflecting it onto your spouse? We make it 1000% clear. This information is for you. This is about you, for you. This is your work to do. You do not have license from us to go to your mate and say, well, I learned in group that, um, you know, we need to be using good communication. I learned in group that you need to be talking, feeling, no, 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 no. We say it again and again and again and again. I've gotten very stern about this, Dr. Hudson. You do not have my permission to go home and say, Dr. Hawkins said, you do, that's called triangulation, by the way. Yeah, yeah. And they do not have, not only do they not have permission to do that, but we make it, I mean, it's, this is all about the first couple of chapters of the book. It's the first several uh, weeks of work in the core program, your side of the street, sir, focus on it and on it alone. Does she have a side of the street? She does. Does she have stuff to work on? Without a doubt. Not your business. Dr. Hudson, you, you run groups and you, you're co-writing this book. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and I'm glad we're spending some time in the early part of the book addressing that because we certainly do it in all of our programs. But in the core, it may take four, three or four weeks to steer them back, right? This is your work. We're not talking about your wife. We're not talking about what you think she needs to do. Oh, she's, she's a narcissist. Oh, hold on a second. 
Is she reacting to you? Probably. Is that relevant yeah. right now? Nope. It's not relevant. What's relevant is your opportunity to change you, to do your work. So we're running low on time, but I do want to address something that I'm sure will come up. The title is, So She Called You a Narcissist. There's a lot of individuals out there that reach out and say, well, I'm the man who gets abused. Why is it always about the woman who's the victim? Why did we choose to use the pronoun he and she in this case, where he is the perpetrator and she is the victim? Yeah, what we have found, Katie, is that I don't know what the numbers are exactly, but probably 90% of these patterns of chronic emotional abuse, please everybody hear the word chronic, pervasive patterns of emotional abuse. These are not, this is not a one-off experience, but probably 90% are male men are the perpetrators. It doesn't mean, that means 10%, 15, some number of women can be perpetrators of narcissism and emotional abuse. And then we know that there's a whole group of women who are reactive. I don't know that we have a good title for this, but reactive abusers, you know, in other words, they're, they're pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed. And then I use the, I use the imagery of a can of Coca-Cola and then and then she acts in ways that she doesn't want to act. But we wouldn't really say she has a characterological or chronic character patterns of abuse. She has erupted, and it may look like abuse. It may sound like abuse. In fact, it's, it's bad behavior. Bad behavior is bad behavior. Bad behavior, episodic bad behavior, does not necessarily meet the definition of chronic emotional abuse. So, so uh, men... Men, historically, a great, far greater percentage of them are the emotional abusers. There are women abusers, too. But that's why, I mean, we have primarily a men's program, but we're certainly willing to talk to women about being uh, reactively abusive Mm -hmm. or perhaps even narcissistically abusive. I agree. Yep, I agree. Thank you. Do you have anything else, any other takeaways that you'd like for listeners to remember from today's discussion or hopefully to gain out of your book as that comes out later on? I want them just to get excited about this. This is just, this isn't meant to be, uh, you know, exhilarating or anything. It's meant to be like, oh man, this needs to be said. This is, we're not writing the book just because we're looking for something to write about. There's many, many things that we could be writing about. This is just, this is needed. This is needful. So we hope that people will say, oh my goodness, there is a path. There is a determined path that we can help men work on. There's a path of recovery and that gives hope and that gives excitement. It's cool. It's, it's, it's good to be on a path of recovery. So that's all I want to do. I want to just say to people, look, grab the book and join us on this journey of recovery. It's, it's an exciting place to be, and it brings health and healing to marriages and then families and workplaces, and, and maybe in a way it can change the world. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Hawkins and Dr. Hudson, for sharing about your project. And we look forward to the book coming out, hopefully later this fall. And listeners, as always, if any of this resonates with you, we are here to help. So you can reach out to us visiting the Marriage Recovery Center, so www.marriagerecoverycenter.com, to book a free consultation with one of our trained client care specialists to get started. 
If you enjoyed today's show, please give us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to our channel to be notified of new episodes. Thank you for tuning in and we'll talk again soon.